Hi, everybody. Before we start this episode of OK, OK, So, which is our brand new podcast once a week, as well as our regular podcast, we're also offering it on Patreon at the $3 tier, which will include OK, OK, So and our weekly podcast without commercials like this one. Um, So we hope you enjoy it. It's just Sean. So, um, you know, send your emails to Sean, not me. Uh, so we hope you enjoy this, and um, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Hi there. This is Sean Barton with OK, OK So. I want to start off this segment by apologizing. It has come to my attention that I offended some listeners, and that is not my intention. And to those that I offended, I deeply apologize. So along those same lines, what it has caused me to do is to kind of take a step back and kind of reassess, analyze how I approach things and so forth. So this is what I wanted to do. The Russian-Ukraine conflict has officially replaced NFTs as the topic people love to talk about but don't fully understand. That is myself included, pure and simple. That's not a knock on anyone. Look, uh, even those who follow the news for jobs haven't spent the last decade immersed in Eastern European politics. But I actually reached out to a friend of mine who works for a consulting company here in L.A. who is a geopolitical analyst and helps write papers and policies in Washington in-state, that kind of thing. So I reached out to him, took some notes, and I want to start off with my understanding of a brief history of the relationship between Russia and the Ukraine. And to start with, the brief history goes back a thousand years because Russian civilization, more or less, it appears, began in what is today's Ukraine. I did not know that. All right, so let's fast forward to 1991 when Ukraine became an independent state following the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it seems since then, it's been caught in a tug of war between Russia and the West. There's a lot of ethnic Russians in Ukraine, particularly in the East and South, and those are areas where you find more sympathy for Moscow. So in central and western Ukraine have tended to show more pro-western sentiment. But again, that's very, very hard to generalize. It appears that the Kremlin, for its part, sees Ukraine as a non-negotiable part of its sphere of influence. The idea of Ukraine ever joining NATO is kind of a, what would you call, an existential red line for Russia. But there's also this other thing going on where Putin openly doesn't believe Ukraine is a legit independent country. He must be living under a very expensive rock. But anyway. And it seems for him it's basically just a part of a greater Russian empire that it's his destiny to resurrect. 
Most people in Ukraine obviously don't love this point of view. And I believe it was earlier this week or late last week where the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said that this would be the biggest war in Europe since World War II. But there have been other European conflicts since. So what makes this one so much more significant? Again, it's my understanding. For one thing, it's it's sheer size of the players. Yugoslavia's horrific and... I don't know how to go into more detail than just saying horrific 1990 civil war. It, it, it appears to be the worst European conflict since World War II that took place in a country of 23-plus million people. Now, the Ukraine has more than 40 million people, and mind you, one of its combatants is a nuclear power. The other part of this is the central idea of a post-war Europe is that you don't redraw European boundaries by force because looking at history, that always ends very badly. And yet, here's Russia, a major world power, doing exactly that. So Russia's challenge isn't only to a specific country, Ukraine, but to a whole order. And lastly, there's obviously a huge economic dimension here that I can't really wrap my head around in a very short period of time, but we're talking about a war involving a country, that's Russia, that is Europe's largest source of natural gas and a major global oil exporter. No European war has ever involved anything close to this level of economic and financial risk to Europe since 1945. Now, I've during the podcast, and I've always kind of questioned, like, you know, what is the most likely outcome of the war? Is Russia guaranteed to capture as much territory as it wants? It seems the Ukrainians are certainly no pushovers. They've been well-armed and trained by the West since, I think, mid-2000. No, I'm sorry. I think it was even later than that. So probably, uh, like, 2012, 2014. So that said, the Russian forces are just much much larger. And in the event of a full-scale invasion, most military analysts, including my friend that I spoke to, think that the Russians could get to key cities very quickly. Now, the interesting question, though, is what happens next? Invading a country is one thing, but actually occupying it, if that's Putin's intention, is a whole other thing. The Russians would not, in most cases, be greeted as liberators. As the saying goes, I'm not a military analyst by any stretch of the imagination, I think we all know. But I'm told that things could get very nasty in the event of an urban warfare or a popular, popular, if you want to call it that, insurgency. And in the West, would almost certainly support efforts to make life a living hell for the occupying Russians. That was my takeaway from my friend here in L.A. who is a geopolitical analyst. I hope for those that listened to last week's show and that listened to this one, I hope that I've kind of redeemed myself to a certain extent. And once again, I apologize to those that I offended.